I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Alexander McLeod joins me now. He's just published a new collection of short fiction, Animal Person. This book comes out on the heels of uh, one of the stories therein being excerpted by the New Yorker magazine to great acclaim, which I asked him about. The book itself has been released to great notices, and I'll get Alexander to reflect on how the stories came about, like what inspires some of the stories. The collection is described as a startling, suspenseful, and deeply humane. The stories themselves are often gripping, and I found them concerned with people and their desire for connection, whether it's others, sometimes those closest to them physically or emotionally, or sometimes people who just want to connect with themselves and their identity. Alexander McLeod's previous book, his debut collection, Light Lifting, was a national bestseller, the recipient of the Atlantic Book Award, and a finalist for the Giller Prize, the Commonwealth Book Prize, among many other accolades. In 2019, he received the O. Henry Award for his story, Lagomorph, which uh, opens this collection and was originally published uh, in Granta. He holds degrees from the University of Windsor, Notre Dame, and McGill. Uh, He teaches at uh, St. Mary's University in Halifax and uh, joined me from his home in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia this past weekend. This uh, new book is published by McClelland and Stewart. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Alexander McLeod. Professor McLeod, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, the, uh, I enjoyed the, the collection a great deal. There's, a, there's a lot to, to touch on, as, as um, you can imagine, uh, uh, for us to talk about in terms of the, the book. Um, there are some memorable moments, but there's also some cringy moments for me. I mean, the, the pulling the, the, the rabbit's teeth, or, or, or the, there's actually one character who bites their tongue right off. Um, someone else pierces their upper <laughs> wow, arm. Wow, this sounds really good. This is really good. <laughs> this is going to excite the readership. Yes, those moments are all there. <laughs> I, I still shudder when I when I think about it. Um, do you have a fascination with the gruesome or the painful? Say, uh, not really. I don't think I, I don't think I have a fascination with it. But I am interested in in, in intensity. I suppose mm. intense moments of of clarity, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Sometimes you do need a kind of flash of pain. I think if people remember their own lives, sometimes there are like shocking injuries or or just surprises that do kind of flash with a with with an intensity. That's what I was trying to hit in the story. Yeah, I mean, I still remember them. Um, you know, even after finishing the, the, some of these stories, um, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of questions on this on this book tour about. Um, uh, if you are an animal person or not, um, do people ask you that because of the title of the collection? Say, <clears throat> well, um, what's interesting is I try to use that that term in a kind of um, poetic way, I suppose, where uh-huh. it reads one way almost denotatively. Like when we say animal person, we mean uh, you know a person who has domestic pets or believes in or is friendly with. Uh, friendly with domestic animals, yeah. and I am. I have a dog, and I had a rabbit, and we have some fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, but um, I, don't, I, I don't really think of myself as an animal person in that, um, like, those aren't the, the most profound relationships in the, in the book. I was interested in, in the way that, that we're always negotiating this. I'm interested in the way that animals 
are intimately intimately in, engaged in our lives or bearing witness to our lives in some way. And that was, that was the theme I was trying to explore. Do you think they actually do care about us? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. But but it's uh, it's it's mysterious. You know, that's what, one of the scenes that I have in there is is the is the narrator contemplating the thoughts of the rabbit. Yeah. And the rabbit doesn't have language. The rabbit doesn't possess the same ability to externalize communication. But the rabbit certainly takes it in takes in sound. I, I did notice the, 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 the name of the rabbit is, is Gunther, and then in the acknowledgments you, you, you mentioned a Gunther. Did, did you have a <laughs> rabbit named Gunther? I did. Uh, I, so I had to, I gave, I gave my fictional, my, my Gunther is not the same as that Gunther, but I, I uh, that's just an inside joke, really, <laughs> for see. my family. Yeah. For my family. But, uh, but um, I was interested I think all of us are in that way that that our animals are living entities, thoughtful entities in our homes, and they, in the acknowledgments there, I say that they 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 put us in our place and and see us, understand us in ways that that are kind of mysterious and I think interesting, interesting to think about fictionally. Yeah, yeah. See, I was I never had animals growing up, and so I, I'm fascinated and and. Um horrified at the same time as the relationship that that um our uh, protagonist in, in the the uh, title story has yeah. with, with animals and and uh, it, it makes me think about my own say uh, w- w- whatever aversion i might have to, to pet sometimes or, or mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's an aversion i just think it's an un- uh, just being uncomfortable because i never grew up with that sort of idea yeah either did i really and that's what i my family my, we never really had animals uh, growing up. That's that's that is similar in, in the story where um, I brought animals into my house as an adult. And uh, I never really had them there as a child. I see. Yeah, I guess the other question, Alexander, that, that people will probably ask is why it took so long between books. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have no easy answer for that one, other than just uh, a lot of. It's it's a lot of being alive, I suppose. Mm. Takes up being alive takes up a lot of time. I find <laughs> <laughs> all the hours in the day are busy being alive. So it wasn't like I it wasn't like I was evading uh, my writing. I was trying to get it in wherever I could, but it did take a while. So I, I read the, the the collection in in the last couple of weeks, um, and um, for me it. it, it uh, um, it came at a time, you know, after living through the past two years, say, of, of what everybody's been going through. Um, I, I, I can't assume that the, these were written during the last two years, but I mean, it, it lends the, the collection lends itself so well to these times uh, where we need something. This idea of, of the, uh, a lot of the characters um, in your stories um, just seeking connection, wanting to connect a little bit more with somebody else. Um, did, did the times that we're in? I mean, did you see that connection? That 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 um, that there. It's just so well timed for for where we are now. Well, I absolutely feel that way. I absolutely feel that way. And though the though though only a couple of the stories were actually written during the pandemic, mm. the thoughts that the the 
the isolation, the strange brand of loneliness, the the kind of estrangement we all felt from our normal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, those were all themes that that I was interested in throughout, and so I do I did see um, I did see the way that some of my themes that I'd always been contemplating were kind of bursting into the real world uh, over the last two years. Does that make you, say, uh, 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 someone who, who predicts things or, or who has a sense of, of how to get through some of that um, angst that, that, that a lot of people feel then? I don't think I have any special predictive power, but I definitely always had um, a sort of suspicion about about the loneliness that was being caused by the Internet, the loneliness that was being caused by uh, cell phones, like kind of false connection. Like you say, oh, I'm oh, connected sure. to yeah. so much. I'm connected to so much. And then you're like, well, maybe not. Like maybe the kind of connection we all need is not the one we're choosing or not the one that Amazon is choosing, like, you know, not, yeah. not the one yeah. that the algorithm is choosing. But but it's going to take something it's going to take something out of me do you know what yeah. I'm, i guess i'm trying to get at that that in those stories often it's a work of perspective where maybe someone imagines that they're in a certain kind of control and then as the story develops that that control is is shown to be fictitious which is similar to what happened to us during the pandemic it, we realized that whatever we thought was happening was irrelevant to what was actually happening and or it was hard to pin down what was actually happening. Hard to know. Um, hard to now. Hard to know where the individual fit against such a massive thing that didn't care at all about the individual. When you're working on a story, uh, as you have in the course of writing these ones in, in animal stories, or pardon me, animal person. Um, what's your relationship to these characters? Because because I'm. I, a lot of these characters, I, I, I don't know, I guess I was looking for someone to like, um, and it, it was hard to do that, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm invested in, in what's happening to them at that moment, or, um, you know, I develop a rooting interest, say, um, in something or, or, or them or other people in the story. Uh, do you have to like your characters to write about them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting point that you're making there because I, I do talk to like I obviously teach courses in the university and I talk to other writers and I know that I have a different relationship with my characters than some of them do because I am much more interested in the situation than I am in the individual. So I think the situation produces the drama, as as almost all of us have experienced. Like you may be an individual, but when you're going like across the border or you're doing something that that sort of pulls you out of yourself and places you in a context, that's often dramatic. It's often dramatic. So I was I am always focused on the dynamics of scenes, what scenes do to characters. I'm interested in images, what images do to characters. So um, in in those stories Usually, I would see a scene like, say, the like the um, the um, you know the piano recital. There's a, yeah. there's a piano recital in this where it's just a scene, like it's a massive scene with a whole bunch of people in it. And what I was interested in doing was not making it the story of 
one character, but the story of the scene, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, like, when that happens, you maybe think that you're rooting for one or rooting for the other, or, or that the individual narrative of crisis is the one we're following. But I was interested in the way that it, in that particular story, or in lots of them, that there's kind of two or three different crises intersecting in the same moment. And, and as only in literature could we kind of uh, receive all of them at the same time or right. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the, the um, I, I guess the, the thing that I got as I was reading the book is that your your perception of the, the characters, um, I guess, it yields a lot of empathy for 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 them. That um, I guess I, I don't know. I, I I guess too many of us readers want to, to have characters that we like, and and um, I guess we got to get away from that, don't we? That 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 that. Um, bad people are, are still interesting. Yeah. And no, I think empathy is the key. Con- empathy, I believe, like, I believe philosophers, like, in a hundred years, people will look back and see that the mystery of empathy or the misunderstood quality of empathy uh, was kind of the hallmark of this age, that mm. people were very resentful, people were very self-centered and very protective of, like, individual drama, but that an empathetic capacity and a power to to relate, to really desire to relate to another person. That that uh, that empathetic impulse um, was the thing that we needed most, and we found it in certain places. Like you find mm-hmm. empathy in the oddest places, and, but when you feel it, when you feel real empathy, uh, you don't forget it. You're like, wow, that's a, that person really does, you know, reach out, reach across that that we all feel. So when you're thinking about these ideas, you know, going about your daily life and, and then <laughs> they, they, they inspire stories, say, um, once you've completed a story um, and you put it out there, do you hope it changes someone's mind or, or affects someone's heart in the sense that they change themselves and, and, and perhaps gain some empathy that they didn't have heretofore? I think that literature's most basic work is recognition. So I think most people, when you read a book, or I, I, almost anybody will tell you, like, oh, my God, I read this book by a person who obviously doesn't know me, knows nothing about my life. They died 200 years ago or something like that. And, and you're like, and yet they recognize, my, they recognize my condition or I recognize myself or I see myself in a different light because of, this, of these books. So in my life, that's always been my experience of reading the truly excellent books. It's like you are getting into a deeper, you needed someone else to do something so that you come to a clearer, better understanding of, of where you are. So in my, I don't know, in my writing, I'm just trying to make a little contribution to to literature, to something that has enriched my life in this way. So I just try to be as honest as I can with the, with the forces that are working in my life, and then mm-hmm. I feel like if I treat them honestly, then other people who are maybe going through the same things will recognize those forces. Or the depiction of those forces, even if it's not providing, <laughs> I don't think there's any solutions, but there's, there's just an effort to kind of pin down the basic forces that are at work 
in my life and I know at work in other people's lives, I hope. So so there are characters in, in uh, Animal Person, in, in the stories in Animal Person, that um, also seek uh, to connect with themselves. And, and, and by that I mean they, they, they want to connect with their memories or their conception of identity, their place in, in, a, in a family even. Um, in The Entertainer we have um, uh, uh, a story, a scene, told from, from different perspectives. Uh, the fascinating thing about that that I was wondering as I finished that, that story was, uh, do you think we ourselves, as an individual person, remember things about a situation differently depending on what age we are? I mean, like, you, you had a piece in the Globe and Mail recently where, where you talk about something about, um, if I recall correctly, it was something in your teenage years. Um, yeah. Your conception of that is probably different than as it is now, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be different, say, 20 years hence. Mm-hmm. Um, the Entertainer is told in uh, different people's stories, but I'm just, just curious about a person uh, itself and, and what age does to, to us. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. I, I, I think of... Uh... Well, I, I think it's absolutely true that that uh, our understanding changes, and I, I often think of, um, you know, those people who get like professional wedding pictures. <laughs> you know, they, they get <laughs> yeah. a picture of a wedding, yeah, and there's professional wedding picture, and whatever. There's 20 people in this shot, so there's like some little kid who's got a whatever sprinkle flower petals, yeah. and then there are the two people who are getting hitched. And then there's like the mother of the bride, or there's two <laughs> stepsisters, or what. so. When I I now like can look at pictures like that and just wonder who I am in the picture. Like yeah. before, of course, like I went to a lot of weddings and I was the punk kid. I was yeah. like, who is this getting married? I never even heard of these people. <laughs> like, why are we going to this? And who is going to be there that's cool to play with? Yeah. Like, I do not want to go to this dumb wedding. Says the seven-year-old. Like I don't like to wear a suit. I hate that. Like, <laughs> and then there's like a bride and a groom, and they're wondering like, is everybody sitting in the right seat? Or, or, uh, oh my God, why am I paying I for this? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually hate you. You know, <laughs> why am I exactly? We should never have done this. Or I knew we should have got that other cake. I yeah. told you. And then there's like the grandparents who are just looking at dumb twenty-year-olds in love. And like thinking that they're freaking out about nothing, right? Like, uh, so, so I often look at, <laughs> so now, now, like, cause I have kids that are yeah. probably, probably, I have kids now that are closer now to the, to the marrying character than they are to the flower girl character. Uh-huh. And so, like, I have moved around in that picture enough myself to, to have different thoughts about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I had a thought about it. When I was thirty, I'll have different thoughts about it when I'm eighty. But uh, but again, we're all in the picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I think literature has a way of of seeing the arc of time as having like a couple like fundamental plots, which are like I am not as intensely worried about the thing I was worried about when I was sixteen. Mm. But that doesn't that doesn't lessen the sincerity of that worry. Do you know what I mean? Like right. when you're 16 and you're worried about love or you're worried about performance or something like that, it doesn't 
affect the intensity of the experience that your grandma thinks you're an idiot. You know, your grandma thinks, uh, oh, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. that doesn't change. That doesn't change the honesty of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people will have read Once Removed before even picking up the book. I mean, uh, I certainly did when it was excerpted in the in the New Yorker. Um, how, how does that happen in terms of... of um, um, deciding what story gets get, gets the showcase, if you will, in a publication like that. Um, did you did your publisher uh, think of that, or, or did did the, the magazine ask you for for a story, and that's what what you picked, or did they pick it themselves? Uh, option three, really? <laughs> option three. They like I couldn't believe it that it, when it happened, uh-huh. um, and it was very. I was so surprised, as you probably would be. Anyone who reads the book would be like, isn't it surprising that that's the one that the New Yorker wanted? But that is the one that they picked. They had, like, the American publisher presented them saying this book is going to come up out in April and there were lots of stories mm-hmm. in it that hadn't been published yet and the New Yorker had their pick. If they, like, I didn't, that was like a shot in the dark. And then they then they picked that one. And when I received the, the correspondence on it, I was, I was so surprised because it, as you said like there's there is a lot of tongues being bit off and lots of <laughs> uh, yeah. in the book but that is the one that doesn't have any of that like that is probably the most plotless perhaps at one level the most boring story in the whole um, collection but when I worked on it with them um, I, I was just so grateful that they that they saw something in it uh, and uh, I think they took. I think they took a story that would have many people would have considered like maybe the the quietest or the least the least interesting story in the book, and they made it interesting. Like people took interest in it, so I was I was really grateful to them. Now I can't remember if um, the the version that I read I read it online obviously when 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 um, it was excerpted uh, is the same version that's in the book because. Um, uh, you mentioned working on it with them just a second a second ago. Yeah. Um, you obviously wrote the story a while back. Your editor for uh, at McClelland and Stewart probably uh, worked on it with you. Is there further work that has to be done to, to to get it into a magazine? Say, well, under normal circumstances, under normal circumstances, like um, the the New Yorker version would be the version that was in the book. But uh-huh. because this kind of went backwards, the New Yorker had. There's not really any difference. There's like. There's maybe like four paragraphs that we had just had to cut for length, mm. so the 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 structure of it is is identical. But if you did read them side by side, you'd see that uh, that I, I spent a little more time getting like a little more time on the subway, like or sorry, <laughs> I spent a little more time, maybe four paragraphs of the family, like getting to the getting subway, to the, getting, getting to the metro, yeah, yeah. and the New Yorkers were just interested in the subway. <laughs> like, yeah. they weren't, they, they're like, just get them to the subway, and that's how we, we cut, like, about, I don't know, four paragraphs, like, we probably cut uh, 500 words or 600 words, you know, to get it under, to get it to fit into their columns. It was just a space thing. They didn't have any editorial comments on, like, what was happening they just we just needed uh we needed to cut some real estate this is an interesting point you bring up because i, I was going to ask you um about what it's like working with an editor i'm assuming that you you work on um your writing it, it's a rather solitary process say eh? um uh, once you show it to somebody do, do you um 
uh, is there a lot of negotiation in terms of what's there and, and, and how it ends up, say, in, in between the pages, uh, between the covers of a book? Well, the primary editor of this work, the first person who sees it is my wife, Crystal Garrett, who is mm-hmm. a journalist, like a, a TV journalist and a print journalist. Mm-hmm. So she is pretty ruthless. Uh, I, like, <laughs> I, I'm not saying, I, I'm giving her credit here. I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, but man, like, so before I would show it to the public, I show it to her, and she just, like, hatchet jobs it. Just like, <laughs> you know, she, she, yeah. there's no, she, she just, uh, she's great, and her instincts are great. So she she sharpens it. And then uh, I worked very hard with uh, with Anita Chong, with McCall and Stewart. And Anita is, uh, as probably anyone who has worked with Anita will tell you, like just uh, the purest, you know, um, clear-eyed hard worker that I think I've ever encountered. And we went back and forth a lot on things you'd think would be very basic, but but they make such a difference. Like if you have a person who has a good ear and they can remember repetition of a word like from five pages ago. Mm. If you use that word back here on page four, let's get a different word here. Or good on verbs, and good on, good on, um, you know, kind of saving you from yourself. That's what your best editors do. They, they, they take anything that, anything that you were sort of, fudging on like you weren't clear about and they just ask you that's what i do with my students just just ask the question straight up saying is this what you want and and sometimes you want things to be mysterious and ambivalent and you know not like i think that's the great power of literature that it you sometimes you want it crisp and other times you just want it suggestive so it's how to turn the dial on that so that things can stay mysterious um so yes, I worked. I worked with uh, my wife Crystal. I worked with Anita, and then I worked uh, for that particular story with New Yorker uh-huh. uh, editors, and, and they were very, 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 very grateful to all the attention. Like just, just, just so old, so old fashioned. Like we didn't do anything digital. It was just pencils and really? phone calls. Yeah, pencils yeah. and phone calls. So, so when you teach writing, teaching sort of that that. Um, those habits of, um, say, accepting edits, um, say, graciously or generously, is that something that you have to teach some writers? Because, I mean, I, I would think when you're, when you're wanting to be a writer, you're kind of possessive of, of your, your work and, say, the characters and, and, and the suggestion of, say, cutting here or, or getting rid of that. And probably, um, I'm not a writer, I just assume these things, that, that um, he probably gets... Um, I don't know, resentful is the right word, but you'd probably get annoyed by it, wouldn't you? Well, that's where that's where everything everything eventually comes back to craft. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Like, like I love, I, I, I was a serious athlete for a kind of period of my life, and I love music, and I love, uh, um, I kind of love anybody, I have friends who are kind of crazy scientists, in a university, there's always all kinds of these eccentric characters, uh-huh. but um, they all work for the work. You know that they, they all work for the discipline. So, so I always try to tell my students that no one is writing a, no one's going to write a story that's going to kick the ass of literature. No one's going to write a song that's better than music. 
yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you're, yeah. you're you're making a contribution to literature like like carpenters are or architects are making a making a contribution to building so they they are trying to make the buildings work they're trying to make the stories work and usually if you that's what I do love about the workshop I I see my workshops at school as literally just shops where we do work mm. <laughs> so you know you can't be too precious about the rocking chair you're building look at my amazing rocking chair like people here know how to do dowels they know how to put the rockers in they know so like i i always find that working together is not making any demands or any um, any suggestions on the content or the style or the form of anybody's work they're just trying to help them work on their craft so i i'm very much a, just a nuts and bolts uh like most of the feedback that we give there, uh-huh. almost everybody's eager to have it because it's just like, do you see that? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like when you're making steps. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, look at the level. Like, you're a half bubble lower over here, and and this could fix it. And everybody who's a half bubble low, unless they, unless they wanted that, like, will say thanks. Like, that's what I want. I want my steps to be level, or I want. So that's the kind of help we give. Is not we never tell anybody how to write or, or or anything about their own form and content. We just try to help them with their particular projects. Like so so that and I think almost everybody wants help with their particular project. Like if you're helping people arrive at their vision, then that's usually collaborative and fun and honest, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. Do, do you come up with the titles yourself? Yeah, well, like a, a couple of them, I don't know if you can see in the uh, in the acknowledgement. There are a couple of titles changed a little bit, like uh-huh. uh, like just like poems, where the the body did. So the story about there's the story about the funeral, the, the oh yeah, which, which which the first version of was just called cousins. Uh-huh. The title was cousins because I was trying to focus on the book. I, as you know, the book is interested in taking relationships that people think they understand and kind of torquing them. So that one was about the relationship between first cousins, which is an, a relationship that I'm interested in because it's intimate and distant at the same time. But then we changed it to The Dead Want, which was a line from uh, later in the story because um, it had resonances that worked obviously uh, beyond just the cousins. Uh-huh. Beyond, yeah. beyond just the two of them, beyond just the two of them, that those three words the dead want, um, kind of rose up to to uh, surround many of the other characters in the story, and that was what I was trying to hit. So I changed the titles, and and um, what exactly do you think you're looking at had a had a t- different title the first time too. So yeah, I was going to ask about that that one in particular because. Um it, it, it's such a. It, it, I still remember that that moment that that line is uttered in the story, and I was wondering, did, did um, you you come up with that line because you heard someone say that? No, uh, that whole story, um, if you if you're uh, listening, is inspired by the photography of Henry Wessel, uh, Henry Wessel, uh, an American photographer, mm-hmm. who kind of perfected the art of the glimpse. He took a lot of pictures in the 70s, like from his car, or or just... So um, that story is very much about perception and um, you know how we invent content 
just by what we're looking at. Mm. So I wanted a story where we are parked inside this head, and the head, as you say, it's a little bit cringy, it's a little bit weird. Uh, and then I just wanted a boom, like right near the end, that kind of moment where the question is asked. Like it's just asked quite aggressively. Like I don't like the way you're, I don't like the way you're staring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, like, and I wanted it to be embodied in that particular character who has a role to play. Like, uh, again, um, I'm, I'm, I think it's obvious. I am interested in, I'm interested in spectacle. I'm interested in, in that, in that case, that, that particular scene takes place not at the Rose Bowl parade, but uh -huh. at the warm up section. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're, they're not parading yet. Not the parade yet. It's just athletes practicing or musicians warming up. And, uh, that's almost that's almost always my favorite time is watching you know watching the people getting ready to perform because all the skill is there it's just not it's not on display yet we haven't started the game yet exactly yeah um did you go into writing a story with a plan or an outline not usually i usually just go in with with an image i usually have i usually have one idea like 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 say for 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 um Say for the uh, the funeral story or uh -huh. the swimming story, like I see I see the people in a certain arrangement, and then I kind of write up to it and out of it. Like I I, I had been to a funeral where teenagers were staring at other like I had been to one of those tragic funerals uh -huh. yeah. where where teenagers are staring at teenagers like they were at the kneeler looking in the coffin. Yeah, and so I built that story from that scene, like because nobody is prepared for it like all the senior people so i wrote a story i wrote a story that went up to that moment and out of it and then uh for the swimmers i did see like i had seen it um you know just kind of down by the shore where we live i had seen people who didn't seem to me to be very skilled at snorkeling mm -hmm. <laughs> very skilled at snorkeling either but i just saw like these two bodies in the water and just the air coming out of their snorkels. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, ah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them, I'm going to get them, I'm going to get them there, and then I'm going to get them out. So I, I, I just see the scenes, and, and then I think there is something evocative in the scene. That's what I'm trying to do. And then how do you decide how the story is told in terms of who narrates it? Yeah, that's that's the... That's the million dollar question. A lot of a lot of uh, experimentation there before you figure that out. I see. So so you Especially actually you, you can actually write something and then change it? Yep. I really? can I can say again that's again in the uh, in the entertainer story, I did it all three ways, like just mm -hmm. grammatically. It's in first sec it's in first person, it's in second person, and it's in third person. Like grammatically. So so it's hilarious if you if you could see my uh, my um, whatever uh, my Microsoft Doc, yeah, yeah. like in the end where all the all the perspectives are there at the end, there's every sentence is underlined as being grammatically incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't tell, you can't make sentences if you first, second, and third subjects, right? Like yeah. it would be a failure. But I was trying really hard to, I was trying really hard to get all three of them. Finally, Alexander, I, I've kept it longer than I said it would, but I just have so, so many questions, as, as you can imagine. Um, was writing something that seemed inevitable for you to do growing up? 
Uh, not at all. Really? No. no. Um, our family is very committed to the arts, uh-huh. I would say. But uh, most of my other siblings went into music. And I played music, too, uh, you know, in elementary school. And it's kind of the start of high school. But uh, the rest of my siblings really pursued musical careers, or most of them did. And uh, and so then I just started kind of writing, maybe, you know, in university. Uh-huh. And and um, w- when you when you look back at it, I guess it's all the reading that that, that one does growing up, and and the love of literature that I guess in. Um, I guess infuses a or, or sort of inspires one to to do it themselves to write themselves. I mean, was that the well, situation in your case? I think that people love what they love, and and I didn't like. I loved as a, as a reader. I think when I was young, I just was like everyone else. I just loved plot. Mm. I just read a bunch of mysteries. I read all the Hardy Boys. I read all the. I like to see. I liked Sherlock Holmes, I liked Trixie Delvin, I liked Plea uh, Investigators. I read a lot of plot. And then, maybe in high school, I fell in love with all these kind of sci-fi, like, like we all do. Like, I went all onto the sci-fi stuff, and mm-hmm. I read all the speculative, like, whatever, stories of ideas. And then only, like, maybe later... Did I kind of turn to like the the kind of subtle stuff that I never understood at first? I never understood anything by Chekhov mm. when I was twenty. I don't think anyone can. You don't know what he's doing. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. know what he's saying. So I I, I was trying to be smart. And I said, oh, I read all these Chekhov stories or these Mavis Glenn stories or 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 even the Dubliner stories. Like uh-huh. you're trying to read them when you're twenty, and uh, you don't even see where the conflict is. Like, they just seem so boring, uh, I don't know, to a 16-year-old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, whew, <laughs> like, then you realize, you know, what the big deal is about Alice Monroe and what the big deal is about about uh, James Salter and these people. Like, you're like, wow. Um, so when I finally found that group, then I kind of understood what I was what I was in for, and uh, and and they like really excellent short fiction has never let me down as a reader. Uh-huh. So you kind of want to try to make something that that you know make something that you would want to show to your heroes and say I'm just trying here, and they they would say Oh, I see, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do there. Uh, it'll give you a pat on the head, but uh, you know we're just trying to develop our skills in anything, I suppose. Well, this is a, a remarkable uh, collection. I enjoyed it a great deal and enjoyed speaking with you today. So I appreciate your time. It's It's been a pleasure, Alexander. Thank you so much for your interest. I, I appreciate it so much. The book is called Animal Person. It's published by, by uh, McClelland and Stewart. Its author, Alexander McLeod, joined me on the line from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plato.